Amen, amen, amen. Amen, amen. Amen. So, this may come as a shock to some of you. Because it's been a while. I mean, we've had Thanksgiving, we've had Christmas, we've had, uh, we celebrated New Year's, but guess what? We're not through with the book of Acts yet. (laughs) We are not through with the book of Acts yet. Um, And... Uh, um, the pace may pick up f- from here because there's more narrative. And uh, but I just want to—it's been so long since the last time we were in the Book of Acts. I, I feel like you may have forgotten. Uh, so we're going to go back to chapter one, and we're just going <laughs> to. <laughs> um, actually, we sort of are. Because I, I'm going to continue to remind you of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Especially in light of what we saw in that video. Um, the, the Caleb Byerly SOTN video that we saw Wednesday night. Go find it and watch it. Go find it. It's on the website. Uh, it's on our Facebook page. Go find it and watch it. It's... It didn't really have a t- title. It's just, uh, it's, it's a story uh, by a, being told by a missionary whose name is Caleb Byerly, B-Y-E-R-L-Y. And it says, has S-O-T-N on the end of it. I think that's either the church or the uh, conference that he was speaking at. But, you know, it says Caleb Byerly, S-O-T-N, 53 minutes long. And you can't come away, you can't watch that video without coming away amazed of the things that God is doing. The power, starting with the Spirit of God just moving in the, in the life of one, a couple of guys separated on other opposite sides of the earth who heard and obeyed the voice of God. Um, so just go listen to it. But with that, uh, Acts ch- chapter 1, verse 8, in v- most Bibles says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other in- in the extreme ends of the earth. That's what it usually says in your Bible. My translation is this. The Holy Spirit is going to give you the ability to tell what you have experienced everywhere you go with miraculous results. Everywhere you go, telling your story, telling what Jesus has done in your life, you tell your story. I mean, you may not think it's a great story. You may not think it's, uh, it's a Caleb Byerly level story. But your story is your story. And nobody else can say, this is true, I know, I experienced it, except you. And you tell your story, and the Holy Spirit uses what you tell and it touches people's lives with miraculous results. That's all, in terms of evangelism, that's all God has ever asked you to do. Tell your story. 
Tell what you've experienced. Not just necessarily what you experienced 30 years ago, but what you've experienced this week. The faithfulness of God this week. Somebody needs to hear that now, tomorrow. Uh, everywhere you go, and then the Holy Spirit is in charge of the results, and they're always miraculous. All right. Then this, this is the gospel the way it was preached uh, in the book of Acts days. Uh, let it be known to you that through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you right now. But more than that, everyone who believes in him is also freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. In other words, not only has Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins, but if you put your faith in him, you will be freed from all the things that you've been trying to get free from all your life. And, and by doing better and trying harder and living by the rules and trying to, that you thought that would free you from stuff and it turns out, no, that just digs you a deeper hole. That what, it is Jesus, by his mercy and grace, coming into your life uh, through, sometimes it's instantaneous, sometimes it's through a process of reprogramming and renewing and restoring, but you'll be freed from all that stuff that living by the law could not free you from. And all you have to do is just continue to trust his grace every day. Live in his grace every day. Two major messages that we have been learning in the book of Acts since two and a half years ago. Don't laugh. Okay. Um, I was thinking that if I punch this. Okay. All right. Now I need you to see this. This, this becomes important. All right. All right. This is what's modern-day Turkey and Iran's over here. Uh, and then lately, in the book of Acts, we've been talking about Paul's journeys in Greece. Uh, and he was in Athens. But now, see this little spot right here? There's ocean over here. There's ocean over here. There's ocean over here. And right in this little tiny isthmus that connects this part with this part, right here is the city of Corinth. And can you see why that might be a strategic city? Um, if, if you've got goods and they're, they're being shipped by land and you need to get here, you have to go through Corinth. If you're shipping goods from Rome and you want to go anywhere over in this part of the world, it's still better to go through here and stop at the port of Corinth because uh, this, is, this is very dangerous territory with lots of storms and the little boats in those days would get shipwrecked. And so they always said it's better to go here, offload your cargo to another boat and take it over here than to go. It, there's actually, a, the Greeks had a saying, anybody who wants to sail around uh, this, whatever this um, part of, Greece is. Anybody who wants to sail around this coast better have made out their will before they start. Uh, so Corinth is a very strategically placed city. Uh, it was extremely worldly city. Uh, it had uh, a, uh, a temple to Aphrodite there and a thousand temple prostitutes that roamed the streets at night. Um, it also is another saying that said anybody who plans to spend uh, some time in Corinth better bring a lot of money with them um, because it, it, uh, it was 
it was basically the Vegas, uh, Las Vegas of the first century. Uh, okay, and that's where Paul has ended up since the last time we saw him. Uh, now remember, the last time we saw him, he was in Athens. And he was in Athens by himself because he, he had been chased down to Athens by some Jewish leaders who were trying to kill him because they didn't like the gospel he was preaching. So um, some friends took him and they just dropped him off in Athens. And he, didn't, he was just killing time waiting till Timothy and Silas would show up. So he was just wandering around. Uh, I had a sort of, kind of a similar experience a few years ago when I was, uh, I found myself in London. Uh, I was on a business meeting and uh, um, I got there at like noon. My meeting didn't start the next day. I said, I'm, I'm here in London. I've never been in London. I'm not sure if I'll ever come back to London, but I am in, I am in London. I'm in England. I'm in London. And am I just going to sit here and... Uh, and, and have jet like am I going to s- just sit here in my hotel room and watch TV or am I going to get out by faith and do something so I just I can't believe I did this I went down and talked to the concierge about how to to use the tube system I got on uh, the underground went all the way down t- to uh to the Parliament Building and Big Ben and Westminster Abbey and just walked around for a couple of hours and took pictures and then got back on and went back to my hotel all by myself. <laughs> and so, except Paul had apparently a couple of weeks to kill because he didn't, you know, I don't know why, I don't know why. Timothy and Silas had gotten to, but he had he was waiting for them to come, and and so he was just hanging out. So he was wandering around, and so long story short, is he managed to find a place. He got a hearing in on on the the Areopagus, Mars Hill, to to speak the gospel to all of the most learned people in Athens, and it was a long sermon. And it was a different sermon than any sermon than Paul had ever preached he his strategy was to try to preach the gospel in terms that he thought the Greeks would understand um, instead of what I showed you before which is Jesus died to pray for your sins uh, you're set free from everything uh, that the law of Moses couldn't set you free from and oh by the way just uh, continue in the grace of God instead of doing that he tried to preach a, a philosophical sermon Bringing in, actually bringing in quotes from famous Greek philosophers to try to construct this argument for why people should consider the gospel. Uh, and, and he preached this big long sermon and he gets to the end where he says, and, and oh, by the way, uh, this Jesus, he's been raised from the dead to prove that it's all true. And now when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. Because a bunch of people in Athens didn't believe that there's any kind of afterlife at all. Uh, and others said, hmm, well, interesting. Uh, we'll invite you back some other time to discuss this some more. We'll think about it. Uh, so Paul just left. 
Some men joined him and believed, and some guy named uh, Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and a few others with him. Um, but basically, it was a dud. When you stop and think of all the triumph he had in all the other places that he'd been preaching, including several other, church, every, several other cities in Greece and Macedonia, like, like Philippi and Berea, where he was a huge hit, this was like, meh. Next. Uh, as far as we know, Paul never went back to Athens, and the, an established Christian church didn't start to thrive there until almost 300 years later. Uh, and there's not really a good explanation. Maybe it was God's timing. Maybe it was a lack of intercessory support because Paul was by himself. Uh, certainly more hard hearts and, and people whose heart, their hearts were completely closed. But it's also true that Paul's strategy changed. He preached a different message and he preached it in a different way. Um, well, was he led by the Lord to do that? I don't know. Was it just something he thought would be cool? Was it that he was overwhelmed by standing up? Okay, so uh, let's assume John Alexander uh, is, a, um, is a, a contestant on The Voice. Voice, voice, the voice or American Idol? Which one? Which one do you want to be a contestant on? And so, so you stand up there, and all you've got to do, and you've practiced and practiced and rehearsed the song. You've got to just now you've got to sing it in front of all of these famous, hugely successful, like sing it for Katy Perry and people like that. And there you are. Are you going to be a little bit nervous? You, you wouldn't be able to. You wouldn't be able to sing. So, so, so maybe this is just Paul overthinking this and kind of being nervous in front of a, the, the worldwide, the, the philosophers that led the entire world in deep thinking. I don't know. All I know is that uh, it was a dud. Uh, there wasn't any revival. There wasn't a big move of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so he packed up and he left town without waiting for Timothy and Silas to show up. I don't know if you just if there's a bulletin board where you could just post something like gone to Corinth. Uh, but he just left. He was supposed to be waiting to meet up with his buds and, and they were going to continue their missionary journey. But he just he got out of Dodge as fast as he could and he went to Corinth, which I'm not sure that they planned to go to Corinth. Who would I mean, if you're Paul, it's as risky as Athens is. Corinth is way risky in a different way to go there by yourself. He just caught the next bus and he left town and he went to Corinth. Uh, so long. Hope I never see you again. Uh, all right. So now let me ask you this question. What is this? It is a tent. It's a, I'm, I'm glad to see you're all, all still with me. Uh, this is a particular there's something about this kind of tent that makes it different from the tents that you slept in when you were a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout. Uh, anybody want to guess what it is? Yeah, a lot bigger. What? It's tabernacle looking, yes? It's pretty. You're, you always slept in the ugly tents. This is a pretty tent. Um, this, is a, this is a tent made out of Turkish goat hair. 
a special kind. I mean, uh, uh, Turks were famous. People from, from the area that we now call Turkey were famous then and famous now for making tents out of woven goat hair, particular kind of goat that, whose name I can't pronounce, not Angora, um, even though that would be a good guess. But why is this important? What? There you go. Paul was a tent maker. Let me, so let's look at this. He's moving on. Now we're in Corinth. Uh, this, now we're in Acts chapter 18. So after this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. And there he met a Jew named Aquila, who was a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius, the emperor Claudius, had, covered, had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. So we know that this happened in 49 AD. Because the emperor Claudius ordered all Christians to leave Rome in 49 AD. So this 49 AD, maybe 50 AD, is when they met up here. This, this, is, this is one of those... Sometimes there are certain things in the Bible you can't know exactly for sure. Maybe it's between here and here. We can drive a stake into this date. We know that Paul was in Corinth between 49 and 50 A.D. That's when this happened. Um, and he ran into these people named Priscilla and Aquila. And, beca- and because he was a tent maker, just like they were, he stayed and he worked with them. And every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Right? There's something you need to know. First of all, we're going to talk about Priscilla and Aquila later. They deserve like their whole entire sermon or story because they are amazing people. Um, they're not rabbis. They're not trained uh, uh, expositors of the gospel. They are Christians, but they have a, a craft. They make tents out of goat hair and Actually, this word in Greek means that they are not just making tents, but, they're all, but they are actually uh, professional, high-quality leather workers. Uh, they worked in leather, and they made tents. Um, but so did Paul, because here's something you need to know. Uh, the Jewish law says that rabbis had to have full-time jobs. If you were a priest in Jerusalem, then the church took care of you. You lived in and around the temple area, and people brought you food, and they took everything. All you did was offer sacrifices if you were a Jewish priest. But if you were a Jewish rabbi, you had to have a job. You had to be able to support yourself. Because the, even though you were a teacher of wisdom and teacher of the law, um, they wanted rabbis to live like common people and understand the, tr- the challenges and the trials that common people we're going through to, so that they could teach you more effectively how to apply God's uh, principles to your life. So even though Paul was arguably one of the smartest rabbis who ever lived during this time, his, he was trained to be a tent maker. And he came from an area of Turkey that was famous for goat hair tents. All right. So... Um, yeah, practicing while he preached. And so he ends, up in, he ends up in Corinth without Timothy and Silas, who are usually like his support team. And so he, 
He didn't have any way to support himself. So he went to work with Priscilla and Aquila. And they, they had a, apparently they had a shop somewhere down on 10th Street. Um, see, what I, see what I did there? Anyhow, um, and they were cranking out tents. And, and he would still go to the synagogue on the Sabbath and, and tell people in the synagogue about Jesus. But otherwise, he was making tents. Um, and so what we're really looking at here is, okay, the birthplace of marketplace ministry. Um, you've heard me talk over the last several months about the ecclesia, which is the church going out into the marketplace. Instead of the church hiding inside a building, waiting for people to come inside to find out about Jesus, the ecclesia was always intended to go out into the marketplace people where they live their everyday lives. Here is the first recorded example of that uh, in a a where missionaries for Jesus supporting themselves selling tents in the middle of Corinth and Paul joined them. Paul would go to the synagogue to talk to people but he was also talking to, to, to people about Jesus just Every day uh, in the marketplace as people came in to buy tents. And uh, I just think that's very cool. Um, this is, and this is more like the church is always supposed to function. People who know Jesus doing their everyday jobs out in the world. Uh, making tents and, and living their lives to draw people to Jesus. All right, that's pretty cool. All right, so, but something else happens in Corinth. Uh, notice this. When Silas and Timothy finally showed up because I assume they had to go to Athens. Paul! Where are you? All the, all the oxen free. I mean, uh, they, they had to look around. Somehow they found out that Paul's not here anymore. Uh, he's gone to Corinth. So they finally found him in Corinth. And when they got there, then Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, by which we might infer what? Well, they might have been the ones who went to work on the tent. They might have brought something with them. They might have brought an offering with them because they had been going around up in the other churches that Paul had been preaching at. Uh, so they went, they went up there. They kind of nailed down the loose ends because Paul had been run out of town on a rail. They, not uncommon that they might have brought some gifts for him to help sustain the ministry. Just like we still send, we write checks to missionaries today. They, they might have brought something. But at any rate, it allowed him uh, to go back to doing what he wanted to do, which was exclusively just preaching, uh, testifying to Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So he was going back to the synagogue where Jews hung out on Saturdays. Uh, but by the time he started preaching to this little, there wasn't a big synagogue in Corinth. The Jews, Jewish was not, Jews were not a very strong presence in Corinth. So he went to the little synagogue in Corinth, started telling about Jesus, and they opposed him and became abusive. And this is, this is not like, nah, 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 we don't believe you. This is like, in your faith, uh, you're a dead man. Get out of here. Um, 
They, re they resisted him ferociously. As hard as he'd ever been resisted any place that he'd ever gone. And at this point, he shook out his clothes, which is a, on a, a Middle Eastern thing. Shake the dust off your feet. Shake the dust off your clothes. I don't, which is just another way of saying, I am not going to have any, anything. I reject you. I reject everything about you. I'm not going to have anything to do with you ever again. And he said, he shook his clothes out in protest and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. It's not my fault anymore. From now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. I am done trying to preach to Jews who are stubborn and self-centered. Jesus died on the cross. He came for you. You've rejected him. You've rejected me and the promise of telling him you about him. He was your king. You don't want him. Fine. Deal with it. I'm going. I'm done with you. God is sending me to someplace else. And what you have here is the birth of Paul, apostle to the Gentiles. You'll begin to, if you read in other letters that he, he writes after this, about the unique calling that God gave him to go to Gentiles instead of Jews. And this is where it happened. This is where he, it's, it's not that he quit loving Jews or caring about them, but it's just that he saw my mission is now someplace else. My mission is to people that nobody cares about. My mission is to Gentiles. Especially walking around Corinth and seeing how completely goofed up all those people were. I mean, at least the Jews had the law to live by and knew something about God. The rest of these people were just messed up. Let's just say messed up. And he just... This bird. mission shift as his focus completely shifted to Gentiles, which is pretty good. Because let's uh, let's see the hands of all the Gentiles in here. I mean, so so, so if, if Paul hadn't gone to Gentiles, um, well, you connect those dots. Uh, Uh, a Gentile is just anybody that's not a Jew. Just, it's pretty, the cast a pretty big net. Uh, so, then Paul left the synagogue, slam. And he went next door. He was like, right next door to the house of uh, Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. And, and, and a worshiper of God is what? Somebody who was interested in following the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they, didn't, they weren't born a Jew and they didn't want to convert. So they hung around the synagogue. They kind of listened at the windows. They snuck in the back. They were attracted to, to the notion of one uh, God... Uh, who was committed to, to righteousness and justice, but they didn't want to convert. So they were just called God-fearers or worshipers of God. And this guy's house was right next door. Uh, and so Paul 
just went right next door and kept on preaching. And here's something called Crispus. The synagogue leader and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians, which means not Jews, uh, who heard Paul believed and were baptized. And that one fell swoop. He left the synagogue. He took quite a few Jews, wanted to believe. He went next door to the house of Titius and started preaching. And that the leader of the synagogue left the synagogue and accepted Jesus. And Corinthians all throughout the city, not Jews, but Corinthians, started accepting Jesus. And his new ministry was born. Now, as we'll find out as we go through this, uh, the next couple of chapters, Paul ended up staying in Corinth at least a year and a half. It's because it was so unusual, his, his ministry was so successful in the Las Vegas of that age. His ministry was so successful, he stayed there a year and a half. And when he finally did leave, he wrote them at least two letters. Some scholars say, if you read between the lines in, in first, between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, there might have been a third letter that we don't have anymore. But uh, at least two letters. And in chapter 2 of the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes these words. And he's basically saying, hey, y'all, y'all remember when I first showed up in Corinth? You remember what kind of shape I was in? Imagine for a moment what kind of shape, physically, spiritually, emotionally, Paul might have been in when he got to Corinth from Athens. Got any thoughts? Tired? Depressed? Roughed up? Discouraged? Um, like stupid, 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 stupid. I, I, I could, you know, have you? And I'm, of course, we're all reading between the lines here. You are welcome to discuss this with Paul when you get to heaven. Okay, we're just having to connect a few emotional dots. But I, I just have this feeling that Paul could have felt like a failure. Because, you know, very humble. Because for the first time in his entire ministry, he didn't see a big harvest in Athens. He, he really gave it. I mean, he, was, he put his whole heart and soul. He worked on that sermon. He, he saw this as an opportunity to preach between, in front of the smartest people in the world. He tried to get himself up on that level. And he tried to run in their circles. And he tried to swim in their lanes. And it was just like... It's like Wiley e. Coyote on the way down and somebody hands you an Acme anvil. And so, we get these words. When I came to you, brethren, I didn't come with superiority of speech or of wisdom when I tried to tell you the testimony of God. Because why? Because he tried that in Athens. It didn't work. He said, I decided I was just going to tell you about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was in weakness and fear and in much trembling. Because honestly, I, I just wasn't sure, filling in the blanks, 
just wasn't sure I could get my mojo back. Weakness means an inability to produce results. And fear, we all know what that means. And trembling, fear and trembling, we know what that means. And so I just, I couldn't pull it together. My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. Wisdom is a favorite word of Jewish philosophers. Uh, I won't do it. I'm not going to get off into that. But I, I just, I gave up on the idea that I could argue you into anything. I gave up on the idea that my, my brilliant argument and my wise insights were going to persuade you to embrace Jesus. I tried that in Athens. It was a dumpster fire. So I fell back on how we got started. My preaching was in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men but on the power of God. There are a lot of great preachers. There are a lot of great preachers who've written a lot of great books with a lot of great insights and a lot of helpful principles. But what Paul's telling us is that it's just the wisdom of men unless you are experiencing it through the power of God. You know, when we saw the, the video on Wednesday and, and Caleb, did you say he was kind of really kind of a humble guy? Just like super humble. Just like, wow. Wow. Uh, such humility. And he said um, that his ministry kind of functions by hearing the voice of God and just, just doing whatever God says. And sometimes God tells him to do things that are just weird and crazy. And you like go, God, really? Is that, are you sure that's you? Really? But then, and, instead of trying to second guess God and figure it out, what they've, just, what they've learned to do is just you hear the voice of God, you're pretty sure based on your experience it feels, sounds like the voice of God. So we're just going to do it. We're just going to obey. And we're going to go as far as we can. And if we hit a roadblock, we expect God to meet us at some point. If we hit a roadblock and we get stuck, we just say, well, maybe that wasn't God. And we just park it on the shelf. But they, they go expecting God to show up. God speaks. We obey we expect God at some point to show up and open the right doors because we can't... Usually when we hear stuff from God, it's way bigger than something that we, can, we could do on our own anyhow. But just because it sounds weird or crazy uh, and people might laugh at us or people may misunderstand us doesn't mean that we're not going to go because, because we're afraid. We're going to go or we expect God to show up and confirm it. Now we're more in what Paul is doing here. I want your faith. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. 
I'm going to tell you that he died on the cross to pay for your sins. I'm going to tell you that he set you free. All those things that have been bondages in your life and, you've been, and they've been eating your lunch for all these years and knocking you down and knocking you down and knocking you down. I'm going to tell you that he can set you free from all of those things. But don't take my word for it because I can't really explain it. I'm beyond trying to give you the right argument anymore. I'm not going to explain it to you anymore. I'm going to ask God to demonstrate it. You let go of whatever it is you're holding to and let God demonstrate his power. And he would pray for people and sometimes people get delivered from demons. Sometimes people would get healed. Sometimes people would, would get fresh revelation. Sometimes repentance would break out, revival would break out. But it was not something that Paul could say, on your market set, no, it was a work of God so that people could look at it and say, Paul, we're not too sure of, but this is God. Paul's kind of weird. <laughs> I couldn't understand half of what he was saying, but this is God. I don't need to understand. I mean, once, once the Holy Spirit gets somebody's attention, then you can go back and start to teach them the truth and the principles of the kingdom. And if you start trying to teach people the truth and the principles of the kingdom before they've had an encounter with the presence and power of God, then the first time they hit a roadblock, there's a chance that they may say, you know what, I guess it wasn't true. It must not have been true. Start to have doubts because uh, their only encounter had been with words and with principles and with teachings, but not with power. Uh, um, I heard somebody tell, I was in a seminar once where a, a, a lecturer on Christian education said that one of the biggest risks the church takes is teaching children the answers before they ask the questions. Um, because um, if you give people information, but you don't give them the power to connect it, then once the information stops working, they assume that there's something wrong with them or there's something wrong with the information and they just give up and walk away, at least for a while. One of the, one of the best Sunday school teachers I have met in recent years um, was um, a lady named Lisa who, she's gone to be with the Lord now, uh, her name was Lisa Lyles, and she ran a children's church program at Bert Stokes Church in San Antonio, Living Faith Church, and with a group of kids who were from the ages of about five to about twelve, she kept them all in one group, and she and the curriculum consisted of singing songs about Jesus and praying. She taught all the kids to pray and to hear the voice of God and to prophesy. Uh, and they would get out a big map of San Antonio and lay hands on different parts of San Antonio and pray for it. Um, and as they were flowing in the spirit, then she would teach some other things in the word, but it was connected to the participating power of God uh, instead of just memorizing verses. 
kind of getting off track here because it's, but, but it's back to this. Paul says, I, I don't want to just give people information and hope they figure it out and hope that's enough. People need to encounter the power of God. They need, they need to see it and experience it even if they can't explain it. They need to know that they've been in the presence of God and then God can come in and fill in all the blanks. Um, when the presence of God shows up, like when we were worshiping today, the presence of God was showing up. God was ministering to you. I know the Spirit of God was ministering to you. If that makes it easier or, or more likely that when you go out of here today, you, you will say, I guess I can't believe what God did in church today. You can't believe what I heard from God. I experienced something from God today. Let me tell you about it. Uh, it's, um, oh, I, instead of, boy, this is a great sermon today. Brother Jack, he talked about. You know how many times people tell me after they go out, as they, we go out on Sunday morning, say, thank you, Brother Jackie, that sermon really ministered to me, especially that part where you said blah, 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 which I, I never said. I don't know what they... I'm, but it meant something. Whatever they heard meant something to them. So I think that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit showed... He, he, he spoke to them something they needed to hear. Okay, that's, that's fine. But you know how many times over the years I get ready to work on my sermon at the end of the week and I get ready to work on my sermon for Sunday and I, and I stop and say, Now, what did I talk about last week? So look. If I can't remember what I talked about last week, I can't necessarily hold you responsible for remembering it either, right? And, and the book of Acts. I do know something about the book of Acts. Uh, now, so, but if you encounter the power of God in worship or in prayer, now you have something that's relatable that you can tell to other people. I hope, I hope the sermons that I tell you inspire you in some way uh, and, and that, or that the Spirit of God just speaks to you in some way while I'm up here doing whatever I'm doing. But it's not the words. Words. Uh, when Paul says over in Second Corinthians, he says, y'all ready for this? The kingdom of God consists not in words, but in power. You have to use words to teach about it. You have to use words to explain it. But the kingdom of God is not about words. The kingdom of God is about life-changing, healing, delivering, renewing, restoring, glorifying power. Oh, thank you, Thank you, Cindy. I, I'll support you 100, 100. Lord, we don't always try to do our best. But sometimes we do. Sometimes we really, really, really try. And we try for a long time to do our best and do what's right and to do what... And, and, we, and sometimes we just end up tired, like Paul, when he gets to Corinth finally just tired and exhausted. Because somehow we think it's up to us 
And somehow we think that it's our plan and our responsibility to fix what's broken. Lord, I thank you that in spite of our failures, you succeed. And in spite of our weakness, you are strong. And Lord, I thank you for moving today in our lives with power. Lord, I ask that you would stir up in us an expectation. Right now, an expectation, an anticipation that we are going, that we are stepping into a new realm, a new era where we are seeing the works of God confirming whatever words might be spoken. Where we are seeing the works of God, we're seeing things happen that can only be you and a timing that can only be yours with a result that can only bring glory to you. And Lord, tune our ears to hear your voice. Give us courage to follow and obey you even if it sounds crazy. Give us grace to stand in your power while you do your work. And begin in our hearts and in this church and in the city of Granite Shoals and all across the hill country, Lord. We're tired of just flapping our gums when we could be flowing in your power. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Demonstrate your power in our lives in ways that could only be you and only for your glory. We surrender to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.